0: Welcome to the Upper 90 Football Podcast, providing American coverage and opinions on all things football. I'm Garrett Post.
1: And I'm Justin Ruderman.
0: And today we bring you our first episode of 2022. Happy New Year to everyone out there listening. Um, We really appreciate your support from the last year. And today, Justin, uh, the January transfer window has opened. We have eight Premier League fixtures from Match Week 21 to talk about. And then we have a plethora of questions from the listeners. Shall we get straight into it?
1: Let's do it with the big game. Well, the big game for me, the earliest game, the first game of the new year, which was... Manchester City uh, against Arsenal at the Emirates Stadium Uh, this was at 4 30 a.m. our time on the first of the month on the first of the year so I did not sleep Um, you know having having Justin having a little bit of our our New Year celebrations right and then you're up till 1 or 2 a.m. I was not taking a two-hour nap before this game risking that so I was up at 4 30 a.m. for this one it was a it was a cracking game. It really was. Uh, it started off with Arsenal really taking it to Manchester city, the first, you know, 20 to 30 minutes of the game controlling uh, it ended up being Saka in the 31st minute opening the scoring for Arsenal uh, and, and putting them up one nil And and, you know, Arsenal played really well this entire game. It was, um, it was definitely a game of two halves because city definitely played better in the second half. Obviously, uh, Riyad Mahrez uh, drawing the pen, or not drawing the pen, but scoring the pen, um, and then quickly after that, right, Gabriel getting the red card for the first – the first, it was two yellow cards in quick succession, right, because it was uh, – he got yeah. the first yellow for messing up the penalty spot, you know, stomping on the penalty spot when Mahrez was taking that penalty. Which is such and a then- dumb
0: yellow card to get. I mean, they were both really dumb yellow cards, but the fact that I, – I don't understand Arsenal fans complaining about it because, yeah, he went, went up and is trying to destroy the penalty spot. I completely agree with the, deci- the decision to give him a yellow there. And then the foul on Jesus just is like a, a textbook tactical foul. So how people are complaining, saying either of those aren't yellow cards, in my opinion, they're both yellow cards, and it's just Gabrielle being stupid.
1: Right. I, I completely agree with you, um, especially the second one, because he knows he's on a yellow card at that point and he Yeah, I mean, we're two complete- minutes before. Completely rugby-tackled Jesus. So, it, yeah, it, very weird. And, you know, Arsenal, Arsenal fans complaining because they wanted a pen in the first half as well, which wasn't a penalty. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the, the, Ederson completely got the ball on his tackle. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. But it was Rodri in the 93rd uh, with a essential tap-in to, to win the game for Manchester City scenes in the way end of course um but yeah it was it it was almost a smash and grab you could call it but when you look at the stats it doesn't it doesn't look like that at all because city 72 percent possession over double the amount of shots same number of shots on target um xg city almost two to one It, it it really didn't look like that but if you watch the game and and as a manchester city fan i will tell you arsenal outplayed manchester city in this game
0: interesting really interesting Um, In terms of the Ederson penalty, I I can see the argument both ways, because there are certain angles where it looks like, okay, that's clear Clear. ball. But then there are other angles where it definitely looks like, mm, it looks like Ederson uh, went through Smith-Rowe's foot to get the ball or like kicked Smith-Rowe's foot into the ball. it, It was really borderline, but I'm okay with them. I think in that situation, if it's called a pen on, on the pitch by the official, then you, you leave that call. And if it's not, then you leave that call. So I'm okay with it not being overturned.
1: Yeah. I I think it definitely was, was a good call to not overturn, but um, there was definitely controversy all over Twitter um, about it. I'm sure I know Arsenal fans were upset about it and, and right. I get why they were upset, right? Because they played so well, but yeah, that doesn't mean that the ref. That doesn't mean that their calls were incorrect. I know that they were close calls, but they they were correct in my opinion. Yeah, but yeah, I mean Arsenal is... looking good, right? I mean, still in fourth place. It uh, still is still in a Champions League spot for Arsenal, but pushes Manchester City even further uh, up at the top.
0: Yeah, especially when we consider, you know, one of the games that happened afterwards, which was, you know, probably an even better result for City than them winning. Um, right. And that was right. Liverpool playing Chelsea um, on, on the second. So we'll just skip to that, Justin, because we're talking about the title race right now. Um, and this was another big game for, for the title race. Honestly, both of these teams needed to win. They needed to win to keep pace with City. And the fact of the matter is that neither of them did, but one of the most entertaining first halves of football I have ever seen. Um, it started with Christian Pulisic basically being gifted a, a chance, and and he tries to go around uh, Kelleher and, and was unable to. Um, and, uh, you know, it was a big chance, which then Sadio Mane also basically got a, a couple minutes later because Chalaba made just an awful, tried to head it back to Mendy and was just not good and go straight to Mane. He goes around a defender and and, and puts it in the empty net. And it's 1-0 Liverpool. And then Mohamed Salah, man, like we've seen him do this three, four times this season alone, but it's still just so impressive. He's just so hard to deal with. Um, Made Marcos Alonso
1: look really silly. Yeah, Yeah,
0: he really did because Alonso expects him to cut in on, on his left foot and he just hesitates for a half second and then just goes right past him. Mendy goes down early. Salah sticks it in the near post. It's 2-0 Liverpool, and, and honestly, I didn't really think they deserved to be 2-0 up at that point. Um, I thought Chelsea were, were the better team in, in you know that part of the game, and then I think that ended up catching up with Liverpool because then at the end of the half, um, Chelsea sprang to life. It, it started with just a, a, an absolute screamer from Mateo Kovacic. The technique on that goal is just outrageous. Ball was headed out. He's jumping backwards and volleying it you know full volley while he's midair his foot is off the ground and it goes off the post and in just unreal goal
1: absolutely incredible to me it is the goal of the season so far he, he's leading the the race uh, i know salah goal has had a couple goals right um but i think that this is i mean to, to hit that technique full volley in midair from you know 22 yards whatever it was that was unbelievable
0: It's certainly up there. It certainly will be one of the nominees. And then just four minutes later in the 46th minute, so the first minute of stoppage time, Pulisic made up for missing that chance um, at the very beginning of the game, gets sent through by a lovely little touch by N'Golo Conte, and then on the left foot just caresses it into the top corner, if you will. Um, And that was 2-2 at halftime. It was an amazing, amazing game. And then kind of the pattern that we see a lot, you know, when we see games that are that frantic in the first half, a lot of the time managers want their players to calm down and, and to close the game up a little bit more in the second half. And that is what happened. And we were, we were hoping that there would be a winner because um, honestly, I think the game deserved one, but it ended 2-2. Nothing real to report in the, in the second half, honestly. Um, and, and it's honestly, you know, obviously Chelsea, Liverpool, they needed these three points. The, the biggest victor here was City.
1: Right. You say, you say we wanted a winner. I, I didn't want a winner. Uh, I, I enjoyed this draw because it, it from, a city, from a neutral
0: perspective
1: from a neutral's perspective. Right. But this push city now 10 points clear at the top of the table, uh, which is ridiculous. 11 points clear of Liverpool. Um, although Liverpool do have a game in hand. So yeah, as you say, not, not much t- to report in the second half because it, it closed up as, as it did the first matchup in the, in this, uh, between these two teams this year of course that one there was a red card so it it definitely shut it down a little bit more because you know it it needed to Chelsea needed to just defend but um but yeah also
0: let's be honest I was not a neutral I wanted a Chelsea
1: winner and I think everybody knows that (laughs) yes as as an Evertonian right yeah
0: yeah okay um so let's go back to Saturday, the, the first New Year's Day, and talk about a couple of the other games because there were some real good ones. We had Spurs going to Vicarage Road and picking up a 96th minute winner, courtesy of Davidson Sanchez. And I know you're saying I was overly critical, but I saw a video <laughs> from the away end, and the scenes were just a little bit pathetic, in my opinion, for a 96th minute winner. You know, I understand it's Watford and, and stuff, but. I don't know. I was very underwhelmed by that video, and a lot of people were clowning Spurs fans on on Twitter, and rightly so in my opinion. Um, But either way, big three points for Tottenham and Antonio Conte really starting to pick up momentum. And you can't say they didn't deserve this win. 21 shots to six, nine shots on target to four, and they had 75% possession on the road. So I think, you know, they were rewarded with that that winner, which they deserved.
1: Yep, and, and still unbeaten under Conte. Um, I, th- I think he set a record if I'm not mistaken for most uh games unbeaten in your first whatever at taught Tottenham. Um, so that, that's certainly impressive for him. Yes, I will say uh, after I had stayed up the entire night uh, until 6:30 a.m. to watch City or 7 a.m. whatever it ended. Uh, I I slept through this one and then woke up for the West Ham game. So, th- thankfully, not too much happened. Doesn't seem like the most entertaining game. Um. But but yes, of course, a 96 minute winner is is exciting there. And Davidson Sánchez, I mean, he couldn't miss, could he? He was it was a beautiful ball from Sun off the free kick. He was just standing right in front of the goal. All you had to do was touch it off of his head. It was in there.
0: Yeah, and uh, you look at the XG 2.17 for Spurs, 0.38 for Watford. So definitely, they deserved that winner. Um, also, just on on the on the talk of XG, real quick, Justin, what do you think the XG on that Kovacic goal was?
1: Oh, that's a great question because I haven't seen it very low. I'm sure uh, 0.05, I don't know, 0.02, something Something low. Point, point oh 0.02. Yeah. Point it's oh 0.02. Ex- which, yeah, for, for anybody who doesn't understand, that means two times out of 100 you're scoring that.
0: Yeah, it's a, just a brilliant goal. And then uh, another kind of crazy track meet of a game, which was West Ham going to Selhurst Park to take on Palace – and they actually went out to a three nil lead. Um, it was Mikel Antonio opening the scoring in the 22nd minute. Um, just a, a really nice ball in. And then he just diverts the header. Honestly, couldn't really miss. And then just three minutes later, it was Lanzini with a beautiful goal. Justin um, controlling it. You know, it was a cutback. He controls it, kind of flicks it up to himself and then volleys it into the top of the net. Um, yep. And then he also scored a penalty in, in first half stoppage time. And so West hammer up three nil looking very comfortable um, and for the entire second half as well, Palace actually, you know, had a decent amount of chances that they just weren't converting. West Ham were really sitting back in that second half, as shown by the fact that the possession in this game was actually 63% to Palace, which is kind of surprising considering West Ham were, winning, were up 3-0 for the vast majority of the game. Um, but then it was Audison Edward fi- finding a goal in the 83rd minute. Um, you know, at, at that point, seemed like a consolation until Michael Elise also scored in the 90th minute. And, and now West Ham are, are getting a, a bit scared here, but they did manage to hold on, get another big three points in their, you know, top four hopes, if you will. Um, and yeah, it, it, another really entertaining game.
1: Yeah. Of course, when you look at the result three, two, it looks a little bit closer than it was right. Because West Ham were pretty comfortable for, for most of the game until those goals went in. Um, but-, but it's,
0: it was more yeah, that that Pal- palace weren't really taking their chances justin because the xg was actually 2.87 to 2.22 in the favor of palace
1: right yeah well i think a lot of that came in the second half because as you say west ham were uh, sitting back and you know just holding on to that 3-0 lead and yeah, anyway, palace pa- go ahead
0: i was just going to say they were comfortable in the scoreline but not necessarily comfortable in the pattern of play
1: right Yes, that's a, that's a good way to put it. And, and you know, Palace almost pulled it off. They almost pulled a, pulled a West Ham, right, because West Ham did it last year against uh, Spurs, that, that three goals in the last 10 minutes or whatever. Um, to, but, yeah, I mean, almost did it, but West Ham managed to hang on. West Ham continue their uh, quality season, right? Their top four charge as well, um, sitting in fifth place right now, right above Spurs, uh, although Spurs, of course, have two games in hand. So, yeah, a, a big win for, for West Ham in their European – charge and trying to trying to get back into Europe again
0: yeah and then we had uh one more game on the first oh no sorry that was all the games no, on didn't. the first So now, yeah. yeah we'll go to the second now um and let's start Justin at the Brentford Community Stadium um where St- Steven Jarrett to Aston Villa went to take on the Bees um it was Danny Ings opened the scoring um and this is from Emmy Buendia who I think you know that was kind of a big big signing in the summer and we haven't seen a whole lot from him you know, Obviously, he hasn't played too many games, but it was a nice assist, and, and Ings buries this one in the bottom right corner.
1: Yeah, what an assist that was, by the way. The turn and the ball, oh, man, slick.
0: And the finish was, you know, that's vintage Danny Ings.
1: Yeah, clinical from Danny Ings. That's what you expect, though. that That's why it almost doesn't register, because you, you expect Danny Ings to be clinical like that. But, yeah, Buendia just turned a man and then played it through the back line right right into Danny Ings' run.
0: I think – uh, personally, just in terms of how successful Gerard will be at Villa, I think what he can get, of, get out of Buendia will be, you know, a really strong kind of indicative factor of, of whether his tenure at Villa will go well, which that's far, I think he's doing a pretty good job. If he can get Buendia to be more consistent, you know, in goal contributions and whatnot, playing how he was at Norwich, that, that'll be really big for Gerard and getting Villa where they want to be, you know, consistently finishing top half every season. Um, but in this game, uh, it didn't go to plan afterwards because it was Johan Visa who had a really, really nice finish on his left foot uh, into the far corner, made it 1-1 just before halftime. And then it was Rurslev on a, on like kind of a second chance. He had his first shot saved by Emmy Martinez, but then managed to put in the rebound, gave Brentford a 2-1 win. Um, and, and they've kind of bounced back after, obviously, they started really well. And then talking about their they had a slump, and, and then they had lost their last two games coming to this one, find a win puts them up into twelfth place. So they're looking very comfortable.
1: They are, yeah. It's mid table keep keep you know, dropping a little bit, rising a little bit. Seems like they're they're gonna stay up and they're I mean, Sir Shirley look looks like they're gonna stay up, but they're yeah. mid table it looks, which is impressive.
0: Yeah, and, and for Villa it's actually their third loss in four. So you know Gerard started really well. Obviously those first two wins um, and then a couple more after that, but but now they're starting to fall back down, and they're now below Brentford because of this defeat. They're they're in thirteenth on on twenty two points, so um, yep. definitely have oh, well, to get to, their act together.
1: To be fair to them, two of those three losses were against Liverpool and Chelsea. Uh, so. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Good good teams, but now of course they they face band United back to back games right in the FA Cup and then in the Premier League. So that'll be interesting to see as well. Yeah.
0: Okay, so Justin, let's move on to my game. Everton hosting Brighton. Um, man, this was this was a tough one to watch. <laughs> it was Alexis McAllister in the third minute who opened the scoring. It, it was, you know, a relatively nice team goal. The defending was very suspect in my opinion, but ball comes in. Mope kind of cushions a header for McAllister who hits it first time past the on-rushing Pickford. And then in the 21st minute, just horrible marking from a corner got flicked on by, I think it was, I think it was Mopai, who, and then Dan Burns at the back post, just completely unmarked. It's two nil to Brighton. Um, and then Everton won a penalty. It was Anthony Gordon, who was by far Everton's best player in this game. Uh, he got hit in the back by uh, Enoch Imwepu, I believe it was, um, And then Calvert-Lewin clips the top of the bar from the penalty. And we are both absolutely absolutely fuming because we have him on our FPL team, you know, early adopters of bringing DCL back in. And then he does that. So that was not good. Um, But Anthony Gordon would take matters into his own hand. Uh, He would score a a deflected effort off, I think it was Lalana, to make it 2-1. But then Alexis McAllister, Justin, just an unbelievable goal. Ball comes in, Welbeck flicks it back to him. Almost unintentionally, it seemed. It almost looked like a miscontrol. But Macalester just hits it on the half volley first time, straight in the top corner. N- nothing that Pickford could really do about it. That made it 3-1. Anthony Gordon would pull another one back. Um, so the floodgates kind of open for him. Had not scored a goal for Everton in his senior career yet in probably, I don't know, 30 appearances. And then gets two within you know 23 minutes of each other. Um, And the second one was real nice. It was actually Calvert-Lewin slid in, John Joe Kenny cut it back for Gordon, and he found the bottom corner, you know, really coolly. Um, But it wouldn't be enough. Brighton taking home all three points, just continuing Everton's awful run. Um, Everton actually had the higher XG in this game, 1.76 to 1.55, but, you know, missed a penalty. So that's obviously a big part of that. And it's really frustrating that that would have – rescued a point, but even still, you know, this is Brighton's first win at Goodison Park ever. So um, a draw wow. even then just isn't really good enough in my opinion. Um, it's now nine points in Everton's last 14 games and six points from the last 36 available. It's an awful run. It's really, it would be relegation for him in pretty much any other season. We're just lucky that there's, you know, still five teams below us right now, but, but Leeds honestly, could be above us any any minute now. Um, we have only played 18 games, so they, they have a game. Uh, we have a game in hand over Leeds, who are right behind us, and Southampton, who are, who are right ahead of us. But it's just awful, man. Um, yeah. Evertonians those, those, are, are fuming. And those, games so. in hand,
1: those games in hand don't don't mean as much when you can't get results uh, right now, unfortunately. But as yeah. you say, yeah, yeah on that f- first goal from McAllister, suspect defending, to say the least. I'm not sure what Keene was doing. Um, just kind of static uh, and yeah, Pickford trying to trying to rush out and block it but couldn't do enough and then yeah, as you say, that the second goal for McAllister was a stunner. Um, yeah, but the, I, I mean the most suspect defending was that was that corner. I mean Dan
0: Byrne is, you know who's the, the closest player to Dan Byrne is Neil Mopai. Oh sorry, yeah so it wasn't Mopai who flicked at all. <laughs> it off. I'm trying to think because I remember seeing a tweet like the only player marking Dan Byrne was his own teammate because there was no Everton player within five yards of him and he's standing Two feet away from goal on the back post. Like it's it's awful defending.
1: Yeah. Everton have not have been in a very poor f- uh, run of form, which is why they're spending money uh, more than any team so far in this January transfer window, uh, buying some fullbacks. I should have mentioned as well Brentford um, got Jonas Losel from M- M- uh, Mitchell Lind. So that, that's for, for, their signing. Former
0: Evertonian.
1: Former Evertonian, of course. Which is uh, never that's touched an interesting the pitch signing, for Evertonian.
0: So- yeah yeah well he never he never did in uh in the Premier league no he you know because pickford has played a lot of games in a row or at least did until um enchiladi rested him last year for robin olsen but um yes, the local but- signing is interesting justin because so obviously they had david raya got injured and i feel like fernandez has been playing all right like I, but I guess maybe Lussell will just be a backup option to him until Raya comes back or something. I, I'm yeah, not it's sure. always would Be kind of surprised to see him take that starting spot.
1: Always good to have the competition, right? And and whoever performs performs, right? So I mean, you definitely need a couple goalkeepers there to in, in case one gets hurt. But uh, let's—I'd love to hear your thoughts on on your Everton signings: Vitaly Mikelanko from Dynamo Kiev and Nathan Patterson from Rangers. A couple fullbacks in that you guys needed.
0: Yeah, I mean. I think Patterson was definitely the more necessary signing. We've been needing a right back forever and he's 19. So really young, kind of a high fee for a 19 year old. We're paying 12 million pounds up front with potential for that to be up to 16 uh, based on, you know, incentives, performance, whatnot. Um, The Mikalenko signing just seems like kind of a a Dini replacement before Dini leaves. And we'll be talking about where Dini may be going later in the episode because I think we both have the same idea of, of where that should be um, but another, like I am one hundred percent Rafa out at, at the moment, Justin um, and I know you added it that, to your
1: Twitter bio
0: yes, I have because i 'm sick of it, and the problem is that he's not going anywhere anytime soon and i 'm completely aware of that, um, which pisses me off unless I mean but like there 's got to be a certain point, Justin where if we keep playing like this, there, you mashiri, even though he 's an idiot and he doesn 't know what he 's doing. Um, there's a certain point where he can't justify keeping him. And we've seen that in the past, you know, like he has, this is the first time that he has been reluctant to sack a manager. Who's absolutely crapping the bed. If you know what I'm saying, like Silva, we got smacked at Anfield. He was gone the next day. Koeman, we were in an awful run of form. We got destroyed by Arsenal at home and he was gone the next day. And this is the first time that Mishiri is, is backing the manager for no real reason, right? He backs the manager over the director of football who then leaves because Marcel brands, his job was basically non-existent considering that Benitez was given all control by Mishiri. Um I don't know, man, but Patterson, I, I am excited about because we need a right back so bad and, you know, he can learn something definitely from Seamus Coleman. I, I expect them kind of to a split time this season because although Patterson definitely is much more physically able at the moment. He's still only 19, right? Very inexperienced. He's he's only played 13 league games for Rangers and that's in his entire career. Um, so very inexperienced, but hopefully Seamus Coleman can help with that. But uh, the Mikolenko signing, honestly, we'll see. I don't know a lot about him, but we are definitely getting a lot younger in the fullbacks, right? So Luka Dean's 28 now. Mikhellenko is 21 and Patterson, as I said, is 19. So just bringing in some youth, I don't really mind that. I still don't think Dine should be sold. I think he should be the the captain, to be honest, when Coleman's not on the pitch, but him and Rafa have some bust up, which in my opinion is dumb. And then he, you know, Rafa talks about in the postgame presser, Oh, I have to do what's best for the team. And, you know, saying that like, Oh, Dine being on the pitch, isn't what's best for the team. So I, but I, which is ridiculous in my opinion, because I think playing a five back with Seamus Coleman at left wing back is not what's best for the team. I think playing Luca Dean, despite, you know, regardless of your dumb ego clashing or whatever's going on in the dressing room, that is what's best for the team is playing the actual only left back in the entire squad at left back.
1: All right. Uh, With that, we can move on to the last game of the second that we have. Well, that we haven't talked about because we talked about the Chelsea Liverpool game, uh, which was Leeds Leeds United. Uh, against Burnley at Ellen Road.
0: Relegation six-pointer, mate.
1: <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it was. Uh, and it, it started with uh, Jack Harrison in the 39th minute off of similar to that to that Brentford goal, right, with uh, deflection, yeah. a second-chance goal, right, Jack Harrison. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, a, a mistake from uh, Tarkovsky, I believe it was, to give away the ball yeah. straight to, to Harrison and then he was in on goal uh, and was able to bury it. Uh, it was Cormier then responding with a, a really beautiful finish um, to, to level the game. Stuart yeah, Dallas from, from,
0: from a free kick.
1: Right, from a free kick, yes.
0: The, the wall was a bit suspect, in my opinion. Like, Cormier really didn't have to try that hard to get it around the wall and back in. Like, it, it wasn't like extremely far in the corner, so I think that's kind of on Melier there for, for not setting up his, his wall very well.
1: Interesting take there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then Stuart Dallas with another beautiful finish curling his left off his left foot around the defender into that really similar uh, to
0: the visa one, right?
1: Sure was both very, very good uh, goals. And of course, Hennessy was frozen on the, on the Stuart Dallas shot. And then it was Dan James in stoppage time to put the game away three to one. He uh, Hennessy got, got a piece to it, but it still trickled into the corner. Uh, to, to make it 3-1 for Leeds, and a big win for them in the relegation 6 points. Huge 8.
0: win. Huge win for them, and it's also a huge win for Newcastle and Norwich and Watford even, because you know <laughs> Burnley, Burnley picking up a win here, I guess mainly for Watford, because it would have put them in, in the relegation zone had Burnley won, um, but yeah, Leeds have kind of given themselves a little bit of breathing room, right? They're now six points clear of Watford, although Watford do have a game in hand, and they're now eight points clear of the relegation zone entirely, so it looks like you know, leads might be scrapping their way to survival. It's a big, it's a big win for them. It's one they really needed after three consecutive losses. They've been so bad this season. Um, but for Burnley, man, it, it's looking not, it's not looking good for them. And we always talk about Sean Dyche, escape artist. You know, he's had Burnley up in the league since 2014. They only got relegated once, which is quite remarkable to be honest, considering the lack of funds and support that they've had. And then they've they've had this takeover right brought in cornet who's been kind of the one shining light for burnley so far this season because he's been brilliant like he's scored some just phenomenal goals in an otherwise team which which is just kind of unable to do anything um but they're firmly in the relegation zone you know they do have a game in hand so if they could somehow pick up three points which they haven't done in their last five games um they they could jump above watford there but you know not looking good for burnley and and it kind of seems like we have for the most part, a four-horse race here for who's going to get that 17th spot and survive because I think Leeds will probably be safe. I think Everton will probably be safe.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, yeah, for Leeds, it's a similar thing to what we've been saying for Everton, right? Uh, There's just so many bad teams that they're probably not going to get relegated. And that is is the lucky thing there for both of them.
0: Yeah, I mean, we'll see, but just you know, there's, there's it, it, one of these teams could fall in still, you know, like it's, you know, only two places off one place off at of that last spot of safety. And you don't want to be in 17th coming towards the end of the season. Cause if one team, only one of those three teams picks up a bit of form at the end of the season, you're in big trouble. So I'm, I'm really hoping Everton will get up towards that kind of 12th, 13th spot sooner than later, but we'll see. Yeah.
1: And Leeds, of course, getting uh, Mateo Joseph Fernandez from Espanol in this January transfer window so far.
0: Yeah, interesting signing. And then uh, we'll move on to the last game of the week, Justin, which was Wolves going to Old Trafford and stunning United, although it wasn't really a – it wasn't like a smash and grab. Like, they deserved to win this game. And they found the goal through Jean Moutinho in the 82nd minute. Um, Kind of United's woes compounded. They've not been playing well recently. Um, you know, they beat Burnley, but, you know, drew, drew with Newcastle, barely beat Norwich. So, Ragnick, you know, still hasn't been able to really impart his ideas that well in the squad. They look really disjointed. Um, there was no Bruno th- this week, which I think was a big loss for them. They missed that kind of creativity dial well, in the midfield. He was
1: benched. He was benched by Ragnick, right? Okay, so, well, I, that's
0: – I mean, I guess because – and you talked about it, right? Him and Ronaldo were on different pages – uh, in terms of pressing and went out against Newcastle, but I yeah. personally think that United are, are a much better team when Bruno is is in the team and Ronaldo isn't than the other way around.
1: Well, that's the thing, right? Because it, it, it you you know that it was going to take time for uh, Ragnar to in, implement his gig in pressing and you know work. Yeah, as a we team talked about it last week. Of course, it's going to take time, but. What Ranieri also continually talks about is we, we need to play players in their best positions. That's very important to the way that I'm going to play football. He's not doing it though. He's not playing. He played Bruno against Newcastle, as you said, in that uh, front two with Ronaldo as a, as a second striker because uh, he's playing this four two two two, right? Uh, yeah. And now and now he's moved. Uh, now he's playing Greenwood uh, as that in in the middle with Sancho. It just it's not working right and you know and it's it really tells you it's one thing that Ole got right four two three one is their best formation they need bruno in the hole there man it's it's how bruno
0: was able to have be so influential despite playing in a under, otherwise underperforming united squad right like there's a reason bruno picked up all the goals and assists that he did under ole for the you know but what, what a year and a half or so almost two years um so, yeah, I, I just don't see United being successful without Bruno in the squad, personally. I just, I just don't. So I think, although, you know, Ragnick, this is the formation
1: he wants to play, does he have the
0: players to, to do it? I think the answer is no.
1: Yeah, I, I, that's what I'm saying. I don't think this is the formation for him. And no. for him to say that he wants to play players in their positions and then play a, a formation that doesn't fit the this, this squad is contradictory.
0: Yeah, Wolves on the other hand Justin, they're now up into 8th on on 28 points. They had a you know, not a super great start to the season, you know, lost their first 3, obviously all really close games, but Bruno Lage has seemed to figure it out a bit and they're they're up into the European race now, playing really well. Obviously having Raul Jimenez back helps so much because they were just pretty useless without him last season, weren't they? Um, But it was Moutinho who found the goal in this game. Dude is aging like a fine wine because I I thought he would have (laughs) retired about three years ago, and he's banging in goals at Old Trafford. So, Yeah, it was a really nice
1: goal. Really, really nice finish, as you would expect from Jael Moutinho. Um, And, you know, Jose saw as well coming up with a couple really nice saves. De Gea himself as well off off of that Neves uh, flick up to himself, almost scored an incredible goal. Um, so both keepers do, doing some work in this game as well
0: yeah but wolves did edge the xg 0.94 to 0.76 so not a, a lot in it but i i from what i saw i only watched about the first 60 minutes because i had class but uh i i thought they were definitely the better team from what i saw and yeah
1: nine, 19 points. to nine shots three times as many on target for sure deserved it yeah and all right that, justin I- Let's do it. We can get into our questions that we, we, we're starting to love this uh, segment because it it gives us not only, excuse me, not only does it uh, allow our listeners to engage, but it gives us some great topics that we don't think of ourselves, but our listeners give us some really, really good topics to, uh, to engage. All right, Justin, where are we starting? Let's start with the first question that we got, which is similar to a question that we got, because we've gotten a lot of questions about Ronaldo last week, and this week, we already answered it last week, but Sid asks, will it be worth having a striker who has only moments every match, which can probably win you the game, or having a striker who's consistently present in every match with link-up play, but not necessarily someone who wins you the game on his own? You know, so this this is probably is, it's probably referring to Ronaldo. Yeah, it's a Ronaldo yeah. question.
0: Um, I, I think... Personally, and we talked about it a decent amount last week, Justin. So definitely, if, if you guys haven't heard what we were talking we've been talking about United a lot because it's just a really interesting kind of transition they're going through and just whether their personnel fit kind of the philosophy Rodnik wants to bring in, um, which I, I personally think that Rodnik needs to adjust what he wants to do because he doesn't have the players to, to do what he wants to do, in my opinion. Or, it, I mean, it's going to take a long time and they'll be kind of out of the top four race by the time those ideas get imparted but i i think it's i think united need a striker who's more than they have two kind of penalty box finishers right now and that's about it right so they started cavani and ronaldo next to each other both of those players are just players who finish in the box they don't really do much else in terms of you know creativity link up play you you don't really see that right cavani what do we know about cavani he's old but he's been able to score because his movement in the box is incredible and his ability to find space and finish is really, really good. And that's what he did all last year. But, you know, you have him and Ronaldo next to each other and, and there's no focal point there, right? Like Ronaldo is not going to be a hold-up striker. He's not going to be, you know, battling off two defenders and then finding a ball to someone else. That's not what he does anymore, right? He, you know, he, he, that's how he's been able to kind of maintain himself and maintain getting in the goals is that he's adjusted his game and that's not who he is anymore. So personally... I think they do need a striker who can be involved in every aspect of the attack, not just the final touch.
1: Which could be Cavani, right? Yeah, I, and, and they have Greenwood as well, who, of course, they're not playing in his striker role where he is. But, um, but yeah, Gold Palmer also asked the question, is Ronaldo making United worse? We answered that last week and, and right there as well, pretty much. Um, and then we can move from from one striker to another striker who's getting a lot of talk. Uh, recently because of his most recent interview we have a question from dustin we have a question from dustin Uh, did lukaku really mean his apology or does he still not fully motivated to play for chelsea and wants to leave the club um
0: i mean I, i we've been talking about this
1: throughout the week justin
0: um this is what lukaku does and and also i was watching the irish guy video yesterday and i thought he had an interesting take on it um but Lukaku is a diva it's it's what he he's done this at literally every club and he's talking in this interview about how much he loves inter and whatnot he was doing this at inter too like it it, it's honestly it's a bit ridiculous and um a lot there was a lot of talk about Tuchel's decision to drop him for the Liverpool game personally I think it's completely justified because I think Lukaku needs to get put in his place you know he made the decision to come to Chelsea the club that he's been supporting since he was a boy, and he needs to get over himself and put the club first because, in my opinion, he is not doing that, and he has not done that at pretty much any of the clubs that he's been playing for. It's unprofessional. It's egotistical. So um, do I think Lukaku really meant his apology? Probably not, but I think he'll have to because I don't think Chelsea will sell him in in January. I think Tuchel knows that he needs him to play, So maybe it's papering over the cracks until the summer, but I I still, even if he didn't mean his apology, I I still don't expect Chelsea to let him go at least until the summer, but honestly, probably beyond that.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, I believe it's been confirmed that he's not leaving in January. Uh, He was back in training of course for the Spurs game. It's, it's rumored that he will start the Spurs game coming up. Um, but, which, which makes sense to me. I mean, if you drop him for one game, you teach him a lesson, and then you bring him back, I think that that makes sense. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk just of always. It
0: happened to be a huge game, unfortunately.
1: Right. It just it, it did happen to be a huge game. Um, but, yeah, I mean, as you say, it's what Lukaku does. He, he's always complaining. He says, oh, Chelsea are the club of my heart. But he said that about Inter, United, Everton, etc. Uh, I mean, if you really love Chelsea, you don't turn down Chelsea to go to United a few years ago. So, it, yeah, it, yeah. So I, I think that maybe it was half meant his apology. He, he realized maybe I shouldn't have uh, said all of that, but it is still what I felt. And so I don't feel bad in, in that sense, probably. Um, but yeah, definitely don't think he's going to leave the club right now.
0: Yeah, and, and talking about Chelsea, we got a question from Aubie, who also contributed last week, um, and he said, hot take, one of the current top three teams will not be top three by the end of the year, in parentheses, most likely Chelsea. Justin, what are your thoughts on that hot take from Aubie?
1: Well, I love this hot take because I said, last, I said this last week on our podcast. Uh, I said, you know, Arsenal, I think, have a chance, even Spurs have a chance uh, of, of pushing Chelsea out of – the top three, uh uh potentially and Garrett left me out of the room. He said, No way that's happening. I still I still think that's not happening in any way. All right. Well, good to hear because but I, I think that it's definitely possible. Um, especially with this Lukaku thing, right? Because it's Lukaku who who needed to come and save Chelsea because it's their issue has been not being able to score, not having that player that that will finish off the goals. Um, because it, it in the early in the season, they were scoring goals, right? But it was it was the fullbacks, uh, it was the defenders, it was Reese James, but uh, it was and Mason Mount then picked up the slack a little bit. It was never their their strikers, or it's not been Havertz, Werner, Pulisic hasn't had a great year, Ziyech, of course not there. So, yeah, and, and Lukaku of course now and starting to get uh, he, he scored some goals, but not enough, and, and he needs to um, he needs to really save Chelsea, and if he can do that, then they'll they'll finish third. Uh, most likely, but if not, they're going to continue to drop points.
0: Firstly, I don't think the top three will be changing, um, and secondly, I think Liverpool is more likely to drop out, considering that they're not going to have the two players which carried their attack for the last four seasons. They're going to be without him for the next month, right? They're going right. to have they're going to be starting Minamino and like Oxley Chamberlain or, or something on their wings. Like, um, no, I don't think Chelsea are dropping out. Um, I don't think Arsenal or West Ham or Spurs are good enough to catch them. Um, I think, you know, either any of those teams are, are good enough to, to, you know, be fighting out for that fourth place. And I think it's really a, a, a three horse race for that, which will be really interesting, but no, I don't think the top three is changing and no, I don't think Chelsea are the most likely to be honest, because, you know, they're, they're not taking that big of a hit from, from AFCON and Liverpool are taking a huge hit. They're losing Keita and Mane and Salah where Chelsea, you know, they're losing Edouard Mendy, but they have the most expensive goalkeeper of all time on their bench ready to come in. And he's been playing better in the Cups and whatnot when he's, when he's played as of late in, in Kepa, obviously is who I'm talking about there. Um, so personally, uh, no, I think I think it, it's probably going to end how it is right now, which is City 1, Chelsea 2, Liverpool 3. That's kind of a hot take is what I'm saying. Because Liverpool do have a game in hand, which is why they're in third right now. But um, I think Chelsea will be able to get some results in the next month or so. And I think Liverpool will struggle. So um, in my opinion, I still think Arsenal finishing third is a ridiculous proposal and I don't think it's going to be even close to happening.
1: All right. Well, we can go from talking about our our title race to talking uh, a question about relegation, which is, which I don't think we've gotten one yet, but I love this question. Which team, this is from, from Chris, uh, Chris United, uh, which team outside the top 10 will never get relegated in the premier league? This is, this is, and I'll answer it first because I know you, I, I, I don't know if, whether you're going to disagree or agree because you're in a bad run of form right now, but I know you have a, a stat to, to give about this when the last time it's happened, I believe it'll be Everton. This team doesn't get relegated. They continue to stay in the middle of the table. They are haven't been in Europe for a while, but they are also haven't been relegated since uh, a long time. I'm Garrett. I'm not sure if you know the exact uh, amount of time, but I believe it is
0: 1955 is the last time.
1: Yeah. And and which is, you know, over 75 years. So it's, it's not happening anytime soon. That's, that's my Everton.
0: Like that's my first instinct, but at the same time, you look at how the club is run and you look at, the owner and yes he has lots of money but the fact of the matter is that there's not a single person on our board who knows anything about football right now like literally anything with the one person who knew what they were talking about which is marcel brands we ostracized in favor of fat spanish waiter rafa benitez so <laughs> um like yeah i hope it's us i think you know looking at the rest of the bottom 10 i think you know lesser or in tenth right now so I guess technically they're, they're top 10. But so then if we look at Palace, Brentford, Villa, Southampton, like all of these clubs v- could very easily be relegated at some point. So Everton are probably the most likely out of the bottom 10 at the moment. But at the same time, I find it hard to believe that a club can be as poorly run as Everton is and escape relegation for too much longer. So that's kind of my, my thought on it. If I had to yeah. pick a team, if I had to pick a team to be second, in in that I I I think I think I would go for Villa, to be honest. I agree. Because they've they've been relegated before, but now that they're back up and, and they've they've done just some really good, wise recruitment. And they're just such a massive club, man. Villa is I don't think they get enough credit for how big of a club they are and their fan base is unbelievable. You know, I have been to Villa Park. Amazing atmosphere. Unfortunately it was when they were beating us, but and Steven Gerrard as well. Yeah, if it's he, not Everton, it's, it's going to be Villa in my opinion.
1: Yeah, Steven Gerrard only going to bring them on the upswing. Um, so, yeah, definitely. So then we have, we have um, a few questions that are more broad, broad questions about uh, footballing in general. Uh, just, uh, what's more important for players? Two, two questions. The first one is from Sid. What's more important for a player knowing how to press or knowing how to play through the press, and then for guess what, which is more important, talent or consistency?
0: Uh, Justin, I'm going to start with Sid's question about knowing how to press or knowing how to play through the press. I'm going to go with knowing how to press, personally, Um, because the fact of the matter is that if you know how to press and you win the ball back in the other team's half, you don't really need to know how to play through it, right? Because you're winning the ball in the other half, and then the the other team is already you know, out of sorts and you have way less defenders to play through because they've lost the ball on their own end. So obviously like you need to know, like you, you need to know how to do both if you want to, you know, be a a trophy winning team, you know, champions league winning team, whatever. But if I were to pick one out of the two, I'd rather have a team that knows how to press than a team that knows how to play through it.
1: Yeah, I would agree as well. Um, I think that the way that I view it is playing through play, being able to play through the press is uh, more important to not losing a game. Right. Because you, you're not trying to give up the ball on your own end, but not every team is, is a pressing side, right? There's the only, the, the better teams are generally going to really high press you for, for most of a game. And so, if you are a pressing team, then you can implement that every single game. Whereas knowing how to play through a press, it's only going to benefit you maybe half the games. Right. So certainly I think that uh, being able to press can, can win you more games than knowing how to uh, know, not knowing how to uh, play through it will lose you. So that's why I will uh, go with the same as you Garrett, knowing how to press is more important. And then as far as
0: talent. Yeah. I was going to say the second question from guess what, Talent or consistency?
1: Uh, yeah, for me, here's what it is, right? Because the question becomes talent or consistency because we have uh, – often there are these player comparisons, right? And so we hear, oh, well, in his prime or he's, he's a great player, but he doesn't do it all the time versus somebody who's very consistent. I think that as a player, consistency is more important. But when you're talking about who is a better player, I, I talk about talent, um, which is the the main example of this is Paul Pogba, right? Uh, because he's, yeah. a, in, in my opinion, he is a world-class footballer, but he's not consistent. And so that's why I say he, he talent is, it, consistency is more important to, to playing, to winning games for your team. But when you're saying who's a better player, it's it's talent for me.
0: I mean, I, I think kind of the, really just, you look at it and the obvious answer is you need both, right? If you're going to be a a world class, like every player who is quote unquote world-class right now, in my opinion is a player who does both. Right. So that's kind of, you know, when we think about hallmark players, you think about legends of the game, you're Ronaldo, you're Messi, right? Players like that, they've been doing it. They have unbelievable talent, but they've also been consistently performing for the last like 15 years. Right. So it's, for me, it's consistency. I, I think because there are players who are less talented, who if they just play consistently and they give a solid seven out of eight, seven or eight out of ten at every match, and you know, also they players who work incredibly hard. There's players who don't have that god-given talent on the ball or crazy physical ability, but they're just so consistently not making poor decisions, like you know, your your cerebral players, if you will. Um, I mean, it's 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 different styles, though, isn't it? It depends on what you're – honestly, I think which one you have could also play a lot into what position you play, um, which is an interesting concept. But I don't know. It's a, it's a tough question. Um, I think, yeah, you need both. But just to play devil's advocate, Justin, I'll go for consistency.
1: We like to hear it. We like to hear it. Um, we, can, we, can, we have another footballing philosophy question, which, again, this is what I mean by we have great questions that we would not think of on our own, but they're fantastic questions. Uh, it comes from De Gea and Toonhive. Where do you think football will go in the future? Exempli Gratia, recent emphasis on attacking fullbacks. So the tactically, formation-wise, what, what do you see happening in the future of football? It's a really good question. Um... It's also one, obviously, very hard to predict, right? This just...
0: Yeah, yeah. I think, I don't know, man. I, th- I think just kind of the divide that we see between kind of the styles of football that, that different teams play based on their kind of financial position and, and also like position in the table. The fact of the matter is that the, the, the gap in wealth between the richest clubs and, and the poorest clubs isn't going away anytime soon. So I think like we should expect to see like Leeds, for example, I think are going to be a real anomaly. Um, like in the future, you're not going to see teams with kind of, you know, low ish budget or a team that just came up who, who play such an open and, you know, not pragmatic style of football, like Leeds play in an almost foolish style of football, like reckless abandon, which is, you know, it's great to watch and, and people love it and it's what Bielsa it does. But at the same time, it's not economically, you know viable because it 's really easy to get relegated when you 're playing so open like there 's a reason that teams who are trying to avoid going down are like their emphasis is always on defending because the way to stay up is to not concede goals, and that 's not what leads are doing so I, I think we 'll see even more of a divide in terms of the playing styles of the top teams, you know like your cities like your your liverpool 's the high intensity the pressing the winning the ball back, doing things that the lower quality opposition can 't do, and so they'll be playing more pragmatic football and we already see that, but I expect it to just polarize even more if that makes sense
1: yeah i I, I agree with that i think it 's a good a good uh, idea there and i think for for me, what i think we 're going to see a lot more of is is it 's kind of on the idea of this attacking fullback right i think we 're going to see a lot more players who have a lot more responsibility moving up and down the field, the wingers, the midfielders right now, we have a CDM, an eight, a cam off very often. And so you have that eight, but I think it's going to be more uh, more three eights in the middle or something like that, where you're, you're, they have a lot more responsibility because fitness and training regiments and all these things that have been improving for a long time and will continue to improve and allow players to simply run more around the pitch. But It'll it'll have more uh, responsibilities, and you see that with the fullbacks as as we said. You know, like Jao Cancelo is a perfect example. He barely plays uh, fullback anymore. Trent Alexander Arnold barely plays fullback anymore. They track back, of course, when they need to. But uh, like for example, when Cancelo goes up, you have uh, Kyle Walker generally, who's on the right side, will just shift into be the third center back, and so you have more responsibility. You have more jobs. Uh, as, a, as an individual player. And that's what I see happening. Just more responsibility for each player because the game's going to become more complicated uh, and trying to open up more spaces because you, you learn how to stop certain ideas.
0: Yeah. So Justin, let's go on to a question from Ruben uh, at three Ruben Goat, who says, who's the best defender in the world? I know that it is Ruben Diaz, but I want to test your ball knowledge. Um, that's quite funny. I mean, it's hard to make an argument that it isn't Ruben Diaz. Um, obviously pre-injury you kind of easily go for Van Dyke, but I think we all kind of acknowledge he hasn't quite been the same so far this season. You know, it might take him a little while to get back to where he was. Obviously that's what happens when you have a serious injury like that, but Liverpool have not been the same at the back. I think that's clear as day, even though I think Konate um, is a better center back than both Matip and Joe Gomez. And it's a better partner for Van Dyke, He's, he's not quite the same. So honestly, it's really hard to make an argument other than Ruben Diaz. Um, at the moment, I, I think you could maybe look towards Bayern, but do they really have a standout, or, or is that more like a, a function of the system? Upa Macano's not there yet. Um, I, I don't know. It, it's a it's a tough question, but I, I you know what? I'll, I'll I'll say this: if it's not Ruben Diaz, you might as well just say Cancelo, right? <laughs> not, I mean, but also not you know like defender, but like not really,
1: right? right yeah not really i mean i am sure i'm a little bit biased here right because i am a city fan but it is ruben diaz for me um the way that he just throws himself i think that rudiger probably has to be in the conversation right now because he's
0: i i, I would put i'd still put tiago silva over over rudiger personally wow i think tiago silva is still better than rudiger
1: wow yeah i disagree yep. that's a hot yeah, take I...
0: but i i i, I Um, Rudiger was at Chelsea before, man, and he leaked goals, but they bring in Thiago Silva and the defense immediately got so much better. And in the middle of that three back, he doesn't have to be I mean, it got better when
1: Tuchel arrived.
0: Well, yeah, but even still, Thiago Silva was playing well, was one of the better players during the the end of the Lampard era there.
1: Well, I I think that Chelsea fans will be happy to hear your take because Thiago Silva just signed an extension through 2023, right? Meanwhile,
0: good move for Chelsea, in my opinion.
1: Well, Rudiger's probably going to leave. He's probably going to sign a pre-contract. Um well, I don't know. I think I think Rudiger has been incredible uh recently. But yeah, to, to me it is Ruben Diaz. The way that he uh just throws himself in front of anything he doesn't care, he will put his body on the line and and um he, he's yeah, the best defender in the world for me right now. Cool.
0: And then one of our last questions, it might be our last question. Actually, Oh, no, no. One of the last ones, more. Justin. Yeah. comes from Zilla who is contributing every week. Thank you very much, Zilla. He says, and this is, I think this is a great question, which we will be talking about for a few minutes here, name the position and player every big six club should look to sign. So Justin, we've come up with little lists here. Um, we know at least one that we agree on, but the rest of them we have not told each other. Um, let's go in in order of the top six and where they are in in the table. So let's start with the current league leaders, Justin. Your Manchester City. I, I am pretty confident. I know what you're going to say. So go ahead.
1: I'm pretty confident. Everyone should agree. Early Holland.
0: Yeah, that's what I. That's what I put as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, look. In the summer, I wanted Kane. I'm a huge Kane fan. I really think he's a top, top player. Obviously, he hasn't had the greatest season so far. Uh, I think that will definitely improve under Conte, though. But, yeah. but yeah, I mean, Holland for the future. The problem is, right, I don't think it's going to happen this January because um, Man City doesn't like to negotiate and and. and Get in a bidding war with other clubs. We like release clauses. Cheeky burgerstand loves his release clauses. Which Erling Holland has a release clause, I believe, of seventy-five million in the summer, um, and so that is likely when Man City will go after him. However, I'm sure that there will be clubs trying to pull it off in, in yeah, this January transfer window.
0: Well, I, I'd even say there's going to be more competition in the summer because everyone's going to know, hey, there's a generational talent, world-class striker here for you know seventy-five million, which is nothing for his level of talent. Honestly. Right. And then it becomes I, his think, choice. I think it might be smart for you guys to go to go after him now, especially considering you have the Ferran Torres money that you just you just sold Ferran Torres. You could probably sell someone else in this in this window. It's not like you guys don't have any uh assets that, that you could sell <laughs> for a lot of money. So but yeah, it's gotta be Holland. Like that, that I think is the final uh, stone in city's infinity gauntlet, if you will. So yeah, Holland. Let's move on to Chelsea, Justin. I think we have the same one for this as well, for this one as well. Um, I put Luka Dean. um, Chelsea need a left back, right? Uh, Ben Chilwell towards ACL. Marcus Alonso, just not quite good enough if you want to win a title, in my opinion. I think Luka Dean honestly is um, a little bit of a down year for him, but he's still, in terms of creativity from left back, has, you know, top five numbers in Europe over the last three seasons and, and this season as well. He's just, you know, hasn't really gotten many assists because Calvert Lewin has been out and Richarlison as well, for that matter. So I, I think I think Luca Dean is is the clear option for Chelsea and they can probably get him for relatively cheap um because it's pretty clear that that he's gonna leave Everton.
1: That's that's the piece that's really important to me because He's being forced out of Everton by, by Benitez, which is, first of all, a bad decision. Uh, I, I, I don't think he,
0: he wants out as well at this point.
1: Well, I'm, I'm sure he does. After, after the manager doesn't tell you, it tells you he doesn't want you on the pitch, I'm sure you want to leave. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think he's the best option for Chelsea. Uh, of the, the other options that have been rumored have been uh, Nicholas Tagliafico from Ajax and then the American Serginho Dest at Barcelona currently. The thing is uh, with Dest, he, he wants to stay at Barca. Um, Xavi's not so keen on it, however. And yeah, so that, that's the young option, right? Because Dean and Tagliafico are in their prime of their careers, a little older um, than, than Dest is. So, and I I, I think, I take Dean over Tagliafico for sure. Um, I think, first of all, I just think he's a better player, but Prem experience as well. He's been in the premier league for many years and, and, has that awareness Um, and and, I mean Dean could have moved to a top six club two years ago he's been deserving this move uh, and I think that is that is the move and of course yeah Dest also is a right back so he's not really a left back but I do think he would thrive in a back five versus a back four that they play at Barcelona I mean we haven't really played Luca Dean
0: in in a back five much because we usually play a, a back four but like, we we know Luka is very good in the air. It's probably his best defensive quality. He has, a, like, an extremely high defensive, uh, like, aerial win rate, which is quite good considering he's not particularly tall, but dude's got bunnies. Anyway, uh, he can <laughs> play I – th- I think he would fit really well into Chelsea's system. The only thing is that he does still have a contract through 2025, so Everton can kind of ask for however much they want. So we'll see how much – Uh, we get out of it. But I'd assume that the fact that we've already spent, you know, almost 30 million would tell you that I think we expect to get a reasonable amount of money out of Dean, even though kind of everyone knows that he's going to be leaving. All right. So now let's get onto the ones where we don't know what we're going to say. We'll start with Liverpool because they're in third, right? If we're going in order here, um, Justin, I've gone for Frankie de Jong because Barca need to sell. Like, they literally, they signed Ferran Torres, who, you know, obviously we know is a great player, really great talent, but they're not going to be able to register him unless they they sell players. And, you know, they're talking about getting rid of Ouzmane Dembele, and, and they're talking about, you know, terminating his contract, and there's a lot of other players on just ridiculously inflated wages. Do I think Barca should sell Frankie Young? God, no. I think he should be in their midfield for the next 10 years. But the thing is that that club is so poorly run that I wouldn't put it past them to do it. And I think if I were Liverpool, I'm trying to take full advantage of that. Give, you know, give Barcelona an amount of money that they can't really turn down in terms of their financial issues. And then imagine Liverpool with Frankie De Jong in the midfield. That's scary.
1: Yeah, that, that would be frightening. Uh, I agree with you that I don't think Barca should sell. Um, so, so because I don't think they should, I don't think they will, but We'll see. That that would be incredible uh, for for Liverpool, though, for sure. I'm gonna Who go with play? one. I'm gonna go with one a little bit out of the box, right? Uh, because as you mentioned, Salah Mane gone for the next month in Afcon. They need somebody to fill that slot. Who who's a top player that's not really getting time that's getting pushed out of his club? Eden Hazard. I think Ooh, he could. I think wow. he could. Yeah. If if. Uh, and I've heard I've heard a rumor that Klopp is interested, but the Liverpool board not so much. So yeah, I don't blame them. <laughs> yeah, because that's, Liverpool that's an ex-
0: it's an extremely risky signing, right? Because he just can't he can't he hasn't been able to stay fit since he left Chelsea.
1: That's true. It's very true. It's definitely risky, but it gives you a top player who has really good talent. Obviously we're talking about talent versus consistency. There's been no consistency there with Hazard recently, <laughs> yeah. but he is still a talented, talented player. And he's shown it in the Premier league before, obviously. So I think that that could be uh, the, the solution for Liverpool after with losing um, Salah and Mane for the next month.
0: Okay, Justin, Arsenal, who, who have you put for Arsenal?
1: Uh, I think that clearly the position has to be striker, right? Because Aubameyang seems to be leaving. Lacazette is going to leave most likely. So I think that certainly that it has to be a striker. And I think that the best that they could get would be Dusan Vlahovic. So I think that that should be their target. But of course, uh, Alexander Isak is also a a quality target and, and one that they're definitely interested in.
0: I also put Vlahovic unsurprisingly. I think that's kind of a lot of the talk because... Um, you know, obviously, incredible talent has been scoring goals for fun in Serie A, but don't think he's quite ready to be at you know a Bayern or a City or you know a club like that. You know, Madrid, Barca. I don't think he's quite there. I mean, maybe Barca. Just that, that's a know. hot
1: take, honestly, because but
0: I I I, know, I think that he needs. Uh, one more stepping stone, you know. So right now, mm. if we're looking at comparing him to Holland, which is what a lot of people, have, what right. a lot of people are doing, he needs to find his Dortmund, right? Because Holland, mm. Holland is going to move well beyond Dortmund. He's much better mm. than Dortmund. No offense to Dortmund, but it's just true, right? And I think, I think Arsenal could be that spot, right? They're they're in a good position here. They've got a manager who is, you know, really developing a lot of young talent at Arsenal and is getting a yep. lot of a lot out of young players, you know, your Sokka's, your Smith Rose, your Odegaards. So I think Vlaovic would be a great fit at Arsenal. He stays there for what, maybe two, three years, and then moves on to a Champions League contender, um, which is not going to be Arsenal in two to three years. Um, But I also have put, and as much as I don't want this to happen, my second option would be Calvert-Lewin. I don't think Arsenal will shell out how much we're going to ask for him because it's going to be be a lot lot of money. but do I think he would be really good for Arsenal? Yeah, of course I do because he's a quality player. So that was kind of the second option. But yeah, I agree, Vlahovic.
1: Yeah, no, I I think DC is a good shot. I just think it's too much money. Everton would ask uh, eighty million plus.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I agree. All right, Spurs, Justin. Um, I think we and we talked about this a lot with Deli Alley. In my opinion, their their problem position is that they they need a playmaker, um, and so. James Madison was an option. I considered he's kind of the second one I have there, but I've gone for Florian Verts from Bayer Leverkusen, the young German, Mm. because he is supremely talented young player, you know, has kind of filled seamlessly into kind of picking up the slack that Kai Havertz left when he left Leverkusen. Um, do I think he he might end up going higher than Spurs? Yeah, potentially. But if, but if they're going this January or this summer, I think he could be a good option. Um, inject a little bit of youth into that Spurs squad because to be honest, they don't have they don't have much. So that's that's who I've gone for is Florian Berts.
1: Yeah, I've also gone in the midfield. Um, I think I, I have two options. The first is more likely because I think it actually will happen as Frank Kessie. Uh, I think that interesting. I think Spurs are really interested in Frank Kessie. I think that that could go through for sure. Um, yeah, just uh, definitely in the midfield, Spurs need some help. And the other option, which I don't know if I personally want it to happen as much, but I know Conte's a fan, and I think it would be a good move for Spurs as Weston McKinney. Uh, I think that he ah, would be... Yes. Yeah, I, I know Conte's a big fan from his time in Serie A, that was,
0: and that was that was rumored in the summer as well to be you know that that was a potential option. It obviously, didn't happen.
1: Right. The question really is: Is it a good move for Weston McKinney himself? Right? Uh, because you go from Juve, who are a top team in in Italy, to Spurs, oh, who not
0: right not right now they're not. Well,
1: yeah, of course they're not having the best season, but I don't think there's any argument that Juve are a top team in Italy, but. They, but yes, certainly not this season. Having not having the best season, and then Spurs, you know, under Conte, it could be good, but it, it's they're not going to be competing for a title anytime soon. So,
0: I mean, you youve are in fifth right now, so they're not really competing for a title right now either. But obviously, no, that, but next year they easily could. Li- it seems more likely to change soon than than for Spurs. That's for <laughs> you sure. think, yeah. Okay, all right, Justin, and then finally we move on to the club that we've been talking so much about. Um, and that is Manchester United. Um, and before this, I, I, I told you one of the options uh, th- that I was thinking of, which was Wilfred Ndidi, but I'm going to go for a different one. I'm going to go for Conrad Limer from wow. RB Leipzig. Um, it's a player that Rodnick has worked with in the past, um, you know, was really influential in kind of the development of, of Limer's game. He's only 24, but when Uh, Runyek was, was at Leipzig, you know, really developed his game, turned him into a really competent, pressing midfielder. And if, you know, United with Runyek staying beyond just the interim period in which he's manager and becoming a consultant, if United do want to follow kind of a pressing philosophy and and changing to, to kind of a gig and pressing club, I think he could be extremely good fit for that. Um, You know, he's not necessarily the most defensive midfielder, which is, you know, what, a lot of people think United need, which is why Ndidi would be like kind of that option that I would think of. But I saw Limer suggested, in, and I was watching the Sensible Transfers video by Tifo Football yesterday, um, and and they talked about how he would fit and, and with Rodnick, and I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think he would be a lot cheaper than Ndidi um, personally. So I've gone for Conrad Limer.
1: It's funny because – even at even at Leipzig, I might choose Adams to go there to go to United instead. I mean, he he's actually a defensive mid. Uh, obviously, he's been in the Leipzig system as well, and has, has a young player with a lot of potential. Um, but yeah, I think I think Ndidi as well is Inditi is, was the one on my list. But I think yeah, CDM is really what they need. Um, there's a few options out there, but yeah, I think I think a CDM. But I also think that going under the radar, maybe they sign a center back. Maybe. Uh, uh Kunde who i know that uh Spurs have oh. been interested in Chelsea have been interested in uh, Great I, I don't know yeah i think i think he could i think he could be a good signing um to to partner maguire maybe
0: yeah i well i mean a little bit of shade of, towards uh, Rafa veron there who i think both him and maguire have been underperforming but i'd still rather have Rafa Varane than, than maguire at the they've moment, both be been poor
1: i you could pick either one for me they've both been poor
0: yeah but either way like th- which is why I'm too- even
1: considering a center back right because they've yeah I mean you, you I, think I, I Harry Maguire and Rafa Varane you wouldn't. shouldn't need a center back
0: no I, right. I still wouldn't consider a center back because I think like Rafa Varane's too talented of a player to keep playing this poorly so I, I think that he'll kind of get it together you know it's the first time he hasn't been playing at Madrid in what like 10 years something like that so yeah um he'll figure it out I, I still think that they they can't do this Running philosophy with Mick Fred in midfield it's just not going to work.
1: yep yeah. and then yeah so the, that is that those are our picks for for the tops for the big six which which players we should get quickly uh, quickly run through the, a couple other questions before we get to our last one is thoughts on Julian Alvarez uh, sorry thoughts on Julian Alvarez which we got from uh, Alan Bins. he uh, this is the river plate striker of course. I will say uh, his stats look incredible right um, scoring and assisting for fun really uh but we don't really get to watch river plate very much in the united states unfortunately uh there's it's not it's not on tv anywhere so i, I don't get to see him very much i don't know if garrett how much you ha- thoughts you have on that one
0: no i like i, I haven't watched him before all i can look at it is is look at his stats which you know look really good 21 yeah. goals uh in in the premier division so so you know he's obviously a prolific goal-scoring striker, 21 years old, so not like the youngest, which means you know he, he could be a bit closer to being ready for a big move to Europe. So we'll see where he goes. Obviously been linked with United a lot. Uh, not sure if that's what United need personally, but um, yeah, it'll be interesting yeah. to see. If I, I'd expect maybe for him to move in the summer. I, I don't think that Alvarez will be on the move in January, but we'll see.
1: And then we had a little tongue-in-cheek question from Wadham, which you actually responded to on Twitter. Why are cities so good? And you responded, I love how sarcastic yet valid this question is. It's, it's true. I mean, wh- what a question. How am I supposed to respond? I'll tell you how. Pep Guardiola. I mean, Yeah, I mean, that's va- it's valid. Uh, I was going to go for more of like
0: a three-pronged approach because I think it's an intersection of three things. I think it's an intersection of resources, identity, and execution um, city has spent a lot of money getting the right players to play how they want to play under Pep Guardiola, a lot of money and Certainly. it's worked out. They've you know made really big signings, which have worked out really well. Ruben Diaz, perfect example you know was a lot of my, you know everybody thought you guys were going for Koulibaly um, and then turn around go get Diaz from from Benfica who I had actually watched and I immediately if you remember Justin I immediately told you that's a good signing um, and but he's been better even than I would have expected this quickly I guess you know only been yeah. a, a season and a half um, so it's resources but then it's also the identity like I think City have probably City and Liverpool who are the best two teams in the league in, in, probably at the moment, throw Chelsea in there. But over the last four, you know, three seasons, it's clearly City and Liverpool, and those are the two teams who have the strongest identity in the entire league. I mean, you could throw Burnley in there, but that's a you know entirely different proposition, <laughs> right? But City and and Liverpool have the strongest identity in the league, uh, not only in terms of just how rigorously they follow it, but also how good of an identity it is, right? The tactics and the philosophies that they use are effective, right? So you could say, oh, leads have a very strong, you know, identity and philosophy, but at the same time, it's not very practical for the resources and the execution that they can pull off of that identity, right? And so that's why I'm saying it's the intersection of three things, whereas City and Liverpool, both are able to execute the identity and the philosophies that they want to follow so incredibly well because they've recruited really well. They have the resources to go get the players and the quality that they need to execute those things. And that's why city are so good. And then obviously kind of the the figurehead of those three things is Pep Guardiola.
1: Right. Yeah, and, and as you say, I mean, City are able to spend that money, but you see Chelsea and United spending similar amounts of money and not quite achieving that same, same thing, right? It's um, Because it's
0: aimless. Like a lot of their spending is like, oh, we get a player because they're good. But does that fit into their identity? Do they even know what their identity is? Like United's identity is changing right now, and we, and we still don't really understand it because it doesn't really work because the players that they have in the past don't fit because they, they haven't – it's really you need the consistency of having a manager who is successful. Over a certain period of time, and then they can, once they have that identity and they prove that it works, they get backed by the club and then they can, you know, flush that out. It's part of why Everton have been so inconsistent is that we've had a revolving door of managers and we haven't had a clear identity since, I don't know, David Moyes, pretty much. Like, you know, the longest we've had a manager is Roberto Martinez, which was three years, and the, the final two years of that were an absolute shit show. So, like, I, I don't know. That's I, I think that's what it is.
1: Yeah, uh, definitely. And Liverpool, Liverpool. I mean, you got to give them credit because they do not spend as much as the others, but they have their identity. And yeah, Chelsea had their young identity under Lampard. Well, have a new under identity under Tuchel.
0: It's their their net spend is a lot less. But people talking about Liverpool not spending, I think, is dumb because you think about the fact that they spent ninety million yeah, on seventy five right. million on a center back. 60 million on Nabi Keita, another, what was Kanate Like 45, like it's not that they don't spend, they spend. It's just that they managed to fleece teams and selling them crap players for a lot of money. Dominic Solanke, Jordan Ibe, Coutinho, all perfect examples. Coutinho obviously was not a crap player when he left Liverpool, but (laughs) he was probably, you know, Barcelona should have signed him for about a fourth of what they did. So
1: yeah, it, 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 exactly that. It's the net spend that really is impressive for Liverpool. And then we can move on to, I believe, our final question, uh, which comes from Juan Pablo Marquez, a.k.a. JP, who uh, works for uh, LA Soccer Hub. If anybody doesn't know what that is, I suggest you check them out. Uh, the question is, do you think that we sh- LAFC should get Paulinho as a DP or take a chance on a German that Steve may know or have a connection with? Um, and, and what positions would you think that LAFC should get their new DP? So I'll, I'll let you go ahead because also- I have – Go ahead.
0: Yeah. I'm, well, and then I also want to just, because we haven't talked about it yet. I, I want to, when you get onto your answer for this, I'll, I'll talk about it real quick, but I also just want to know your general gen, general thoughts, excuse me, about the appointment of Steve Trandolo as LAFC's new coach. Um, and I'm sure you'll kind of tie that into what happened with, with the rest of this question that JP asked. Um, I honestly thought you guys would potentially be going for one of the domestic free agents. You know, you've got some really quality players out there in MLS who you could go for as a DP, you know, players who are proven in the league, you know, cause when you bring in players from abroad um, it's always kind of a risk. You just don't know if they're going to translate particularly well. Um, and so you, when you have a Sebastian Blanco and a Christian Roldan as available options, I, I feel like a, a club, you know, the size and the resources that LAFC has would go all in for a player like that. Um, so that's kind of what I thought you guys would do. It maybe seems like that's not the case. I mean, could still happen. Um, I, I don't think either of those two players have, have signed for anyone yet. So um, that's kind of what I would what I would do if I if I were LaFC. I think go in for probably. I mean, Sebastian Blanco has had a lot of injury problems, so maybe maybe go Christian Roldan. Why not? He's been phenomenal for Seattle.
1: Yeah, it might be a little bit hard to get Christian Roldan. I'm not sure Seattle will want to give him up, um, but yeah, I definitely have been some. Uh, some some talk about that on Twitter those two players um, and yeah they're they're not happy about neither of those fan bases want to give uh, those players up although Blanco I believe is a free agent but yeah um, as far as Paulinho I think that I don't know if he's the perfect guy because of I I always struggle with uh, age in MLS as a midfielder especially because at 33 right he's Getting a little bit older, can he deal with the physicality of the league? He hasn't been playing in a top league for a while now. Um, And so, not that MLS is a top league, but it's better than China. Um, So, yeah, I think, I don't know if Paulinho is exactly the right guy. I probably, I wouldn't complain if we got him, right? I would be very hopeful, and I think that he could succeed uh, definitely at LAFC. But um, for me, it is the midfield where I'd like to see that DP come in. Um, especially after we have sold Atuesta, uh, yeah. which is yeah, uh, has been my favorite LAFC player um, for since since year one, um, and then yeah, we needing to replace him and and having an open DP slot now because we've uh, sold Diego Rossi uh, to Federbache. So I think that that would be the place that I would want it most. I would not complain at all to get a DP center back though because defending. Uh, is is what lafc struggles with very often we now have a defensive coach and steve Shrundelu, uh, which not 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 philosophically but he was a defender right um and yeah i just think that a center back would be crucial of course we had walker zimmerman and sold him which is the worst trade in mls history um i will debate <laughs> anybody on that one
0: yeah i mean you guys have fallen off an absolute cliff since you did that so
1: yeah, well, I mean, still competed. To, last year was really when it was it was bad, and then, yeah, I mean, we should have we should have mentioned in our last episode actually. Real Salt Lake also appointed a a new head coach, uh, Pablo Mastroni, uh, As FC Cincinnati got a, a new head coach uh, from from the forby Union assistant Pat Noonan. Um, so, and, and recently as well, after after we signed Charindalu, uh, Houston Dynamo got their new head coach. Paulo Mag- Nagamura, um, after he was, he used to be the head coach of Sporting Kansas City 2 in the USL. So, a lot of new uh, managers coming in. As far as Steve uh, Sherundaloo. yeah. Go ahead. Do you have any thoughts about that? that? I was,
0: I was just going to say it's a lot of like kind of domestic promotions, which I kind of like, you know, U- USL managers or, or MLS assistants and whatnot moving into uh, head coaching roles in MLS. I'm kind of all for that, you know.
1: Right, of course, and Steve Shrundelou, of course, is, is that as well because he came from Las Vegas Lights, the exactly. the, the USL affiliate of LAFC. Um, yeah, as far as Steve Shrundelou, he, he, he seems like he's been the option to me because – for that JT wanted, there's been a lot of talk of was Shrindaloo a a top option or was he the fallback guy when JT couldn't get all these other um, – when I say JT, I'm referring to John Thorrington, the general manager of – and president of LAFC. Yeah. He – but, yeah, I I think that Steve Shrindaloo, when he was brought into – uh, Vegas was told he would get a, a very good shot at getting the next uh, LAFC head coaching job. When Bob left, he is a Bob disciple. Um, they have a very good relationship. JT has wanted him involved in, in the club from what I'm hearing since year one. Um, not, not as a coach necessarily, but he wanted him involved and now he's gotten him as a coach. And it seems to me that uh, JT is going down with the ship. If Shrindaloo doesn't succeed, JT will be gone at just as fast, but uh, you know, Scherndelow deserves an opportunity. He's coached in Germany as an assistant. He's coached youth teams in Germany. He's coached. The, he's been assistant for the U.S. men's national team. Um, so he, he definitely has a pedigree in which he deserves this chance. The thing that really impressed me the most is he, um, I think it was an ESPN report that's, that said something to the effect of he was JT talked about this this job with him a couple years ago and he said he wasn't ready yet. He needed more time to figure out to get uh, acquainted with the system and just to uh, develop his philosophy as a, as a manager so that he could be ready and he feels he's ready now. So I hope he is.
0: Yeah, so in general, Justin, you're, you know, obviously the appointment doesn't light your world on fire, but you're relatively satisfied then I take it?
1: I, it's not that I'm, it's not that I'm satisfied. It's that I didn't expect – a lot of people uh, expected there was talks about El Turco or Juan Carlos Osorio. From what I hear, neither of those were ever an option. From what I hear, JT never even spoke with these guys. Um, it, it's their agents, especially El Turco's agent, putting it out into the media so that they can get a better job uh, somewhere else. But, yeah, I, I think that, to me, JT has always wanted Steve Shrindaloo. And has been his guy. And so that's why he's he's coming. And what makes me feel good is that there have been moves to Jerry Shradi, Escobar, uh, selling Bryce Duke, selling Atuesta. These moves have been happening. And we've been saying, why are these moves happening without a coach? To me, they have been happening with a coach because I'm sure Sherundalu, uh has been in the loop with all of these moves. So it's it's more of a hopeful situation. I'm not necessarily satisfied, but I'm definitely hopeful.
0: So what just last thing what do you, what would you consider a success for Toronto in this first season like for me I think I think if you guys can can manage with all this turnover if you guys can manage to to get back in the playoffs I think that would be a success.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't consider that quite a success. I think a playoff run would be a success um getting to the Western Conference final maybe or something like that. That's yeah, that
0: for me that's I think that's too I think that's too ambitious considering that this is the first time your club has gone through turnover, has had a transition. like.
1: But it's not like we don't have one of the best rosters in the entire league, if not the best well, not, roster well, in the not, entire league. Well,
0: not right now you don't.
1: <laughs> well, uh, well, first of all, there's going to be uh, more players coming in, but Chicho Arango, yeah, but Brian Rodriguez are, are two of the better players in MLS currently. Um, Brian
0: Rodriguez hasn't been consistent enough, in my opinion. To, to last year
1: – Last year, he was pretty consistent since uh, yeah, he you, you returned lose, from Spain.
0: You lost the heart of your midfield. Carlos Velo will probably end up being on the beach during your matches again.
1: Like, nah. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, Carl- I don't
0: think right now you can say that LFC have one of the best rosters in MLS. I don't. As of right now, I don't think you can. Obviously, we'll see who you bring
1: in. But it would take. Yeah, there's there's definitely going to be more a soddies. lot of additions.
0: It would, ta- it would still take a lot of additions because I still just think you guys are are weak in a in a lot of positions, even with the players who are staying. Like, yeah, you need a center back. You need probably two midfielders. You need probably you know. I think we like, don't need a, a center
1: back. Mm-hmm.
0: You've got Fall, and then you've got um,
1: Fall Segura and Maria. Yeah, Segura, right.
0: Segura. Yeah, but I mean, all players who kind of underperformed last season. I mean, Segura was well, out. Segura for tore his a while, ACL. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, so then is he going to be the same player when he comes back? It's a lot to a lot of pressure to put on to put on Fall. Obviously, he's a very young player. Um, right. And I, I think, I, he's I, very, I think he's very talented. But do I? No, Do I think he's necessarily good enough to be starting week in, week out for a team that gets to the conference finals?
1: Eh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, uh, we'll see. I, I, I have a lot of faith, faith in fall specifically. But, yeah, I think, I mean, definitely another DP is probably mo- almost for sure going to come in, which is obviously going to improve um, the, the squad and roster. So, yeah, still still some work to be done by JT, no question about that. Um, but I think that once the season starts, LAFC will have a, a, a roster that should compete uh, in, in MLS.
0: Yeah. And Justin, for my club real quick, Justin, so we, we're keeping Almeida, which is honestly surprising to me. I really thought he would end up leaving, but I have absolutely no idea who we're signing. Hopefully some people soon. Um, just wanted to throw that out there. We yeah, We also and-
1: need some signings. <laughs> absolutely and it has to be mentioned ricardo Pepi to oxburg for oh right yeah yeah 20 million which is an incredible um an incredible move for for the u.s for peppy and, and dk to west brom as well dk to west brom as well that is that's right and while we're recording this podcast we have major major news i'm not even sure if garrett's heard about this yet because no we, i it,
0: haven't
1: southampton have just been taken over by an investment firm backed by Serbian billionaire Drogon Solak for a hundred million uh, pounds, so the same price as Jack Grealish. Southampton has been taken over. What? Yep. Wow, that's crazy. It's some 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 breaking news there.
0: Do we do we know the uh, value of their owners now? Like where who They're, who have they just jumped above?
1: I, I'm not sure about that. It's a good question. It's it is an investment firm. It is uh, backed by a Serbian billionaire, as I just said. So, a, a billionaire with a B. There, there's a money coming into Southampton.
0: Very interesting. We'll
1: see how that how that plays out. Um, which which they could do some investment, man. They they really could. And I was gonna say we're talking about teams that might not get relegated. Uh, Southampton now. I mean Newcastle as well could be in the conversation. Have should they not get relegated this season? But yeah. Major news there.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. I wonder, you know, maybe they'll dip into the market. They could definitely use some backup. You know, I, I think honestly they, they could use another striker. You know, Adam Armstrong's been all right, but it's you know, not it's not a full replacement for Danny Ings and Trey Adams, I still think is pretty bang average. So absolutely. All right, Justin, I think with that, we've covered so much. This is going to be almost a mega episode length here. Um, thank you all again for for all your questions. And we're going to keep doing this because it's just so much fun. We really enjoy uh, not only the interaction, but also the the great topics, as Justin said, that you guys bring up. Um, I particularly love doing that, you know, listing the players for the big six and not really knowing what each other were going to say. I, I really enjoyed that, so... Be sure so that you can interact with us to follow us on Twitter at U90Football. Um, And uh, yeah, we'll be back next week. We've got um, the Carabao Cup semis first leg coming up this week. And then uh, next weekend is uh, FA Cup weekend. So that'll be interesting, Justin. A little bit of a change of pace with no Premier League action until after the next episode gets recorded. Um, So yeah, we'll see you then. Happy New Year.